adventurer, route maker, writer, non-profit founder, and outspoken activist, Sarah Swallow, this week on Thereabouts Outspoken. Hi, hello, g'day, howdy, how are you, how you doing, where are you at? Welcome to another episode of Thereabouts Outspoken. My name is Angus Morton, and as always, I am joined via the Ethernet cable by Isaac Carson. G'day, mate. What's happening uh, in the Pacific Northwest? Not a lot. Yeah, things are good. And yeah, it's interesting that the... uh the cable you speak of is the only thing keeping everybody connected. Um, but I'm really excited to have Sarah on the podcast who is responsible for you and I meeting actually. Yeah, that's right. She is indeed. Twas a dark and frigid night in the Southern Arizona desert. If I recall correctly, when you rolled into the finish of Ruta del Jefe and we shared a beer together and there the relationship was born. What a day. And that does bring us to the focus of today's episode. I first met Sarah a little over a year back, actually, just probably about a week or so before you and I met Isaac, after I'd been commissioned to make a film about the bike event she was putting on called the Ruta del Jefe, uh, which is named after the famous Jaguar that inhabited the region the event takes place in, which is the Sky Islands in the southern Arizona borderlands. It's one of the most biodiverse regions in the U.S., and it's also facing numerous environmental and humanitarian issues, from the threat of mineral extraction um, to the unnecessary deaths of migrants crossing the border. The goal of the event is to raise awareness for the region, and in the lead-up to it, uh, we spent several days interviewing a range of experts um, from different organizations, from You know, people like uh, No More Deaths um, through to the Arizona Trail Association, each with a vested interest in protecting um, a specific element in the region. And this event brought them all together. With a route that can only be described as breathtaking, the event highlighted uh, for us the ability of sport to showcase a region under threat, as well as bring together all of those uh, with an interest in protecting the area uh, under one experience to further educate and inform the racing participants. It was an event that really brought Gus and I together and focused us to define the new mission of Thereabouts, uh, which is using sport to help people understand the world. This is only one bow in a plethora of Sarah Swallow, and so we sat down with her to better understand how she came to view the bike in the way that she does and how she plans to use it to keep fighting for the issues she cares about. G'day, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Whereabouts are you in lockdown? I am also in Colorado. I'm in Durango. And um, yeah, I feel in a similar uh, position. I feel very fortunate. It's The weather has been um, really perfect um, over the past few weeks and uh, sunny and, and warm and um, just lots of rides and the, um, you know, our, our cases are, are still um, really low here. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, uh, another fortunate situation. Um, you know, things, things have been canceled, but, um, but I'm grateful for the place that I'm at right now. And that's what I have to ask you, right? Like, I, I understand you're like, I mean, you're semi-nomadic, I guess you would say, right? You, you sort of travel most of the year. Like, what happens to a person who's semi-nomadic when they're told to stay at home? Um, yeah, I had a, a small, you know, t- time of a bit of an identity crisis. Um, and because really this is the first time in like five years that I've been like forced to stay in one place. And when I've done, when I've tried to do this in the past, like I'll be in a place for like two weeks, three weeks, or even like a month, but then I'll be like, I'll get pretty anxious and and need to, to get on the road, just go somewhere, go on a bike tour, camp out because um, it's that kind of 
day-to-day rhythm of just like supporting your needs um, while you're living on the road, whether it's bike touring or, or car camping, which I, I do all three. I do the bike touring. I do, um, you know, I travel in a camp, a truck with a camper on it um, and do trips out of there. And then, um, and then my partner has a house in Durango. So I bounce between three different three different things. And um, yeah, so it was, um, it was tough. Um, the first couple weeks for me um, coming back and, um, and the weather wasn't so good either. So that, that kind of, um, that kind of forced things. Um, but to be honest, like after that, like period of time of just like, okay, you know, <laughs> I can't, you know, I just have to accept that this is, is reality. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. So not, don't fight those feelings, just kind of um, go towards them and, and accept them. And um, I've just really kind of come to peace with the fact that like, I kind of needed this, like I kind of need to um, just chill out for a little bit and like get to know this place that I'm calling my home and um and also just like take care of myself like i am like when i am not bike touring or or traveling and like riding my bike i am constantly like working on an event or um just working on different things for wtf bike explorers and just constantly consuming my spare time with work, like, and not, and not necessarily much else. So this, during this time, I've been just like kind of more focusing on just me and like reading books that I've been wanting to read and um, like pouring over maps of, of Durango to try to find like different things and like linking up uh, new routes and rafting down the river I tried river wave surfing the other day and um, <laughs> yeah it's just like so I'm just kind of in that mindset right now what's what's uh river wave surfing look like <laughs> river wave surfing looks like just like normal surfing but instead of like having to ride a whole wave into the beach and then swim back out. You just ride one wave that's just happening inside of a river. That sounds pretty good. Surfing a few thousand miles from from uh, the nearest beach. You said this morning. Uh, we like you said before we um, we jumped on like that. You have a, a bit of a bike hangover today. Um, I want to know how you're like. How are you being creative with your routes, knowing that you're kind of restricted to a you know a ten mile radius at the moment. Yeah, well, luckily, like in Durango, within a 10 mile radius, there's probably over 300 miles of single track, like, so I don't have to go very far. But the problem is that there are like three locations that people tend to go to. And um, so there's just, you know, all of, you know, work free Durango, school free Durango or at these like three different places. Um, so what I've been doing most days, um, like on a day-to-day basis, I've just, I kind of like spend my, um, mornings, um, you know, I do yoga and then, um, I kind of spend the, the middle of the day, um, working on stuff or reading or doing bike stuff. And, um, and then like around three or four, I'll go out for a ride and that'll either be, uh, um, like on the single track, you know, the local, local trips, but I can pretty much do a different thing every day if I want to. And so I've just been trying to link up these, you know, different 30 mile loops of double tracks and dirt roads and trying to stay off pavement as much as possible. It sounds like, it sounds like you're, uh, you're doing all right in, in lockdown. So it's like you're at least able to have a pretty, pretty good adventure in, in a, in a relatively tight proximity, which sounds like, it sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's like I it it's keeping me um like motivated and inspired, you know, cuz like I it's really easy right now to just get consumed in like mm. the news and like social media and for me, I just need to be able to kind of escape that and um kind of like fuel my soul in the same way that 
you know, bike tours do and, and traveling does. And, and really, it's, it's just great to be able to get that feeling, you know, 10 miles from home. I want to talk about what you're doing now. But before we get there, I kind of want to uh, get your story with the bike. Can you tell us when did you first turn the pedals? Uh, I probably, I don't remember like the exact moment, but I learned in a cul-de-sac in Southern California when I was like six, I think, on a navy blue boys bike with even blue blue tread tires. It was just hand-me-down from my um, two siblings ahead of me. Um, and yeah, so I learned, I learned how to pedal at an early age. And I remember just, um, when I was a kid, just riding with my dad, who was always, um, training for marathons a lot. And so we would like ride with him on the bike trail when he, on his long runs and stuff. Um, and then, uh, we moved to Ohio when I was, um, when I was nine nine or 10. And um, when I was 12, I got a job. I didn't really, I don't really remember riding other than just like down the street from my friend's house. And I, I never really thought about the bike. But um, when I was 12, I got a job at a um, bike rental on this 70 mile long bike path uh, along the little Miami River in Ohio. And, um, and that was my first like introduction to um, like the kind of joy that bicycles bring to people um, because people would come from all over to come rent, you know, these cruiser bikes. And once I started riding those cruiser bikes to like put them away into the shed and realizing like how comfortable it was to like sit upright on like this super plush seat and, uh, and pedal, like I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Um, and so I worked there for a while and um, I just learned that I really liked working with bikes, honestly, like then. Um, and so, um, yeah, the, the next kind of phase for me was graduating from high school. And, um, you know, in high school, I had been a field hockey player. And so I was always like really, um, you know, always like working out for field hockey and running. And so when that was over, I was looking for a new kind of sport to pick up. And my dad, a few years earlier, had picked up cycling because he couldn't run anymore after his, mm -hmm. his marathon. Um, so he had picked up cycling and my mom had picked it up a little bit. And so they had road bikes. And so I started borrowing my mom's road bike and riding with my dad and doing longer rides. Um, and yeah, so then I decided to get a job at a bike shop. And so it was kind of like, I, I started falling in love with riding bikes at the same time I was, was falling in love with working with them too. Um, so yeah, I got a job at a bike shop and just um, through the bike shop, I just got more into like mountain biking and just all kinds of riding. I just was liked all of it. Like I did triathlon, cyclocross, um, yeah, road road riding and so you pretty uh, quickly got into like competition. Um, well, I I did a few triathlons. I I do competitions out of um, the challenge. Like my dad always signs up for events um, to challenge himself. So like my first century was um, the assault on Mount Mitchell in North mm -hmm. Carolina, which is like that hundred mile. Um, ride up Mount Mitchell and that was my first century because it's like you know we're just it's just like a challenge you know and um but I never so I've I've participated in a lot of events but I wouldn't say that I've really raced very much until maybe like <laughs> last year <laughs> and, not even that <laughs> and you and you say um right like how did you I guess how did you go from 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 there to then like owning your own bike shop and like how did you decide like that you were kind of going to make cycling like you know your 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 life yeah well i mean i i remember um just through working at the the bike rental and working at the the bike shop i remember telling my um my history professor i was i graduated um with a degree in history and i remember telling her 
um, as I was graduating that um, I think that I'm going to own my own bike shop and just because that's that's what I want to do you know like that's what I'm interested in doing like I was I'm kind of an entrepreneur have this entrepreneur spirit about me and um, I just thought it was something that I could I could do and I could do well and so um, I, I pursued that route with my partner at the time and um, and yeah we had a lot of fun and we we did it under the premise that we were going to not you know sacrifice our riding um and so we had we we pushed ourselves to like try new things and um and so actually when we first started our bike shop was when we first started doing more um gravel rides and gravel exploring and then eventually bike touring so um, we really fell into gravel riding and um, bike touring as we, you know, progressed with the bike shop and our bike shop kind of reflected that and that's what we would sell and push to our cu customers and through our marketing and, um, and no, at the time, no one was doing that in Cincinnati. No one was really riding gravel at all. How long did you run the bike shop and then what kind of made you you know, decide to kind of to well, decide to close down and 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 have what was you know can only be described as a pretty epic gravel adventure across the U.S. Yeah, I um, well, we we had the shot for um, five years, and I think um, around it was tough. You know, we we were in a um, it was just us two, and we kind of just evolved the business as as we just let the business kind of like go the way it, the, our customers were pushing us and also the way we wanted to go. But, um, but we started small and, um, but we, we opened in the same location that this shop um, had existed uh, for 20 years. So we opened in a, in a location where a shop had existed for 20 years and that we had both worked at. And, um, and so we were really popular right away. And, um, you know, our, our goal was to like, kind of, you know, focus on these things that we wanted, um, we wanted to do and, um, and also stay small, but, you know, the community wanted us to be, to be bigger <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, we didn't know how to manage that, you know, initial, like just how busy we were for how small we wanted to be. Um, and, um, but we, we did it for a while. And um, I think around year four, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, is this what we want for, you know, the, for the rest of our lives? Like, are we really happy doing this? Um, and the answer is no, you know, like there's a lot of really wonderful things about owning a bike shop and getting to be part of a community that a bike shop kind of brings together. And I, I love that aspect of it. But on the other hand, there is just so, so many um, other aspects that can kind of keep people from really living their lives for themselves too. And, um, and we were young, I don't know how old we were, but it was uh, <laughs> 2015. Um, and um, I had been offered kind of like a, a grant sponsorship from Specialized at the time. And I just wanted to use that for, for something, you know, something that, you know, really inspired me and, um, and I had always wanted to ride across the country, but I never wanted to do it on um, on dirt roads. And I mean, I'd never wanted to do it on pavement, which that which were all the routes that were available. And so I started digging, and then I found this motorcycle, this dual sport motorcycle route called the Tat. And um, I just like researched it a bunch, and I was like, yeah, this seems like totally doable on bike. And, um, and so we kind of like set the date and, um, and plan to move out. And actually there's kind of a, a funny side story to our move out because um, our location, um, this, the shop next door, the business next door was this uh, 
like this boxing CrossFit boxing gym. And when they moved in, the landlord, you know, required them to put sound insulation so that the sound wouldn't be transferred into their neighbor's um, space. And so they did, but they put like the cheapest sound insulation money could buy. And so like every morning when I would show up at work, um, there'd be like, and like these like like really intense like beats going and um and you know you'd be like checking a customer out like you know taking their money and they'd be like and it would just be like you know this is it would drive me insane so i was constantly fighting that um through like legal letters between um my landlord and um yeah with my landlord and stuff and try just trying to find loopholes that you know either we could get out of the lease or um or they could be forced to do something about the sound and um and yeah i couldn't there was no way i couldn't find a way of getting out of the lease you know i was just i was pretty much stuck there and um but you know, around the same time we were like planning on moving out, the, the landlord came to, um, the we couldn't move out. We were just gonna close the shop for the tour for like three months and then come back to the shop and, and figure it out. But um, like a month before we were going to leave, the, the landlord, uh, the general manager came in with a bunch of paperwork asking us to notarize our lease. And I was like, I'm not gonna notarize our lease. And so I do a, a little Google searching. They were trying to sell the building that we were in. So they were giving me right. paperwork to like so they could button up button up things and give it hand it over. Um, but just a little Google search found that if my lease wasn't notarized upon signing, that really technically my my lease is just a month to month. Um, so I was able to just send in a um a month notice saying hey you know our lease is actually obsolete and um we're moving out <laughs> and um and so we ended up moving out of the bike shop in like one week and packing <laughs> and going for that that tour um but really it was kind of capitalizing on the fact that we got we were able to get out of our lease legally and then talk about talk me through this the the tat route right the five thousand mild gravel route had you had you ever done anything remotely like that beforehand and what was that experience like for you um yeah that was the first thing anything like that we had gone on a few tours like a you know a five-day tour and a three-day tour maybe a seven-day tour max um but nothing nothing to that degree at all and um but you know i would have to say was probably more prepared on that um on that tour than you know i probably am for for most of my tours now <laughs> um <laughs> just because you just focus so much on you know having the proper gear and and being prepared but um but my body physically you know obviously was not you know prepared for that kind of thing like i remember the first two weeks were like really hard but again, we did, you know, we were riding like a hundred miles a day for, until we got to, um, uh, like between 70 and a hundred miles a day until we got to like Colorado. So, um, we were putting wow. big miles in. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember there's a specific time in, um, in Mississippi where I, you know, we got super stuck in the mud, like this just, just sticky peanut butter mud for miles and miles and I was just like what am I even doing here you know like I am such an amateur like why am I you know why did I think I was capable of doing it? <laughs> you know and this was like the point the the one point that I got to and I was like I you know I'm just thought about getting on a bus and just ending the tour and then um my partner Tom was just like no, you know, you can't turn back. <laughs> you got to stay, stay true to the course. And, um, and yeah, once I was over that little hump, it was like, I just really fell into it and just loved it. Like, I just love the, the day to day feeling of pedaling to get to the next place and just kind of like the freedom of 
of riding a bike and just uh yeah just focusing on on your needs for the day each day and i mean it must have you know it must have had a pretty profound impact because as far as i'm aware right you sort of like since that journey you've kind of been relatively semi-nomadic and you've also like your life has been revolved around traveling by bike by routes by writing about bikes um and and also doing activism surrounding cycling firstly though like how like i guess how long has it been that you've been living i guess your semi-nomadic life and and you know what do you love about it yeah i mean that was um yeah i guess that was the point because i was like on the tat i was like this is really the the happiest place that i am is on my bike and doing this and um and so I love, you know, and I also was exposed to people on that trip mm-hmm. that were living alternative lifestyles that weren't focused on like, you know, working in an office with a nine to five job. So I knew that it was possible to kind of create a reality that you, that, you know, I wanted to create. And, you know, I, it, it, daunting but um and I did like after finishing the tat like I got sucked in I almost opened another bike shop in Petaluma California and I um moved out there to we moved out there to do that and then within just a couple of months of being out there I was just like no I can't do this like I gotta keep following this this dream and um and so yeah after that point I had kind of abandoned that notion um and uh had stayed on the road and just um just following um following my um I I guess dream you know it changes all the time it's like where do I want to go what do I want to see um I think what I like about it and what I love about it so much is just the different um the exposure i get to other people other places Mm -hmm. other ways of living other ways of surviving um and um and new perspectives just it's just all really fresh and i just really like to absorb um to absorb that and experience that and and just see different places um in nature and be be totally engrossed in in nature as well i think that's just just makes me feel so good so as someone you know right uh, like like yourself who went from being a business owner to living like a you know in 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 quotes um alternate lifestyle how have your values changed and like you know what are you pursuing now and how is how is that like satisfying you I guess because I think a lot of people are afraid to take the plunge or I also think too like we're so set up to pursue wealth in a monetary um, or possessions um, kind of format how have you changed how have your yeah ideas of that changed your ideas of wealth yeah um so what I pursue you know what I pursue now is freedom and happiness, Um, you know, and maybe the way I was brought up was to pursue success and, you know, financial stability, a family, um, you know, a job, like all these things, but, but I've kind of distilled it down to, um, to freedom and happiness. And I I think the freedom for me is is that, um, semi-nomadic aspect like I don't like being um, tied down I don't necessarily like to be told how to do things all all the time Um, I've kind of always been like that as a person and I think that's um, also part of my entrepreneurship spirit as well Um, Mm -hmm. and I believe that you know there are times and um, you know first taking that plunge was really scary and um you know people doubt you and they're kind of like oh going off the deep end you know (laughs) like um but and you sometimes do that to yourself like I had a little bit of that going on um at the beginning of this whole pandemic it was like what am I doing like and um but what I find is that 
if you are pursuing like something you're passionate about or that you feel strongly about or like um you know for me it's freedom and happiness like if i keep that as my ultimate goal and focus like i find that i have um enough inspiration and like work capacity and motivation to go after anything that you know that I want you know like as long as I have the energy for it I can kind of make it um, make it happen and so opportunities present present themselves and um, and I think if you just keep pursuing what um, what your passion what you're passionate about um, those opportunities will show up like it's not like um, there'll just be dead silent like if you work for it it will it will happen and so now you are a route maker a writer you do work with um, organizations like the WTF bike explorers you run Ruta del Jefe what does being okay what does being a route maker mean and like what do all the you know like what are all these little things and and how do you sustain yourself sustain yourself excuse me now (laughs) Right, because I'm not really one, like only one of, you know, I just do whatever, whatever I can do to, you know, make money with the skill sets that I have, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, I guess in, in the route maker realm, um, I, I will either create routes and publish route guides for those routes, um, or I will write route guides for other routes. Um, and so, you know, I've done this for Lonely Planet and um, bikepacking.com um, mostly. Um, and so that's kind of where my route maker, and I, I do it for a lot of, you know, events too. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where the route maker kind of comes in. Um, the writing, you know, again, I'll write stories for different uh, magazines or um or blogs or whatever and um for myself and just the focus there is just um to kind of just share the joy that um cycling brings me and the experiences that cycling brings me and to hopefully inspire other people to um you know pursue what their dreams are or um or to gain you know share the information i've gained through through cycling um and then yeah so then i'm a co-founder of the um wtf bike explorers organization which stands for women trans femme and non-binary cyclists who use their bikes to explore and so we've put on a couple summits um annual summits um, bringing together a bunch of voices to share skills stories um and essentially just build a nationwide and it's growing global globally um a community of wtf cyclists who are connected with one another and can inspire um one another to um to take space and and different you know whatever it is whatever cycling um that they're interested in um and so my focus this year has been um, to create a WTF bike for gravel team. Um, and so uh, we've got this team um, and they're, you know, promoting the, the values that WTF bike explorers um, promote. So we've got, um, you know, if you go to our, our website, we've got a uh, guiding principles for, um, for all companies to kind of take up and also a cycling industry pledge that um, promotes more inclusivity and diversity within the cycling industry. Um, we have a podcast. Uh, we're going to have a publication coming out this summer. Um, so just a whole bunch of different things kind of focused on this uh, WTF community. And I want to know, like, talk about, can you talk a bit about the cycling industry pledge? Because I think that, you know, like what you're doing is is obviously pretty unique and but it's it's calling um i think it's given a call out to the wider cycling community and particularly cycling businesses right to kind of you know 
become more diverse, become more um, progressive and, and also too more sustainable, just like in, in kind of, I guess, thoughtful. Can you talk about the, the pledge? Yeah. Um, the, the, the idea behind the pledge is to give um, businesses um, kind of like a tool set or just like a, some guidelines to kind of focus their um, hiring initiatives and their marketing initiatives towards. Um, and so it's, it's not always putting like a white male on the center of your marketing campaign or, you know, making sure that you are, have um, your polling from a larger pool of candidates from, um, for a job position because all those alternative um, perspectives, those diverse perspectives of the people that you hire will impact your, um, your business to be overall more inclusive and diverse. Um, and so it's just pushing companies to um, be more aware of that in their hiring and in their marketing. Um, and so that more people can feel included in the cycling um, community. And we're, we're reaching out to people and saying, hey, we want you here. You, this space is for you. And how's the, how has the response been? There has been a, an a really, really good response. Um, a lot of um, businesses um, and organizations have signed the pledge. Um, we have them all listed on our website. Um, and um, so the response has been good, which tells us that all these companies and these businesses want to do this. Um, they might not know how to do it though. And so that's why they're signing the pledge and they're saying, "Hey, we're going to we're going to try to do these things." Um, the the key for our next stage for WTF is just checking in with these companies and just being like, "Hey, how how's it going? Like, has have you been making any progress?" And um, you know, obviously, it's really easy to sign a pledge and just get your logo placed on a website saying, "Hey, you know, I've done this." Um, and so, you know, we'll be checking in on companies and seeing if they are making the changes and if they aren't, you know, they'll, they'll be, they'll be removed, but like, you know, it's, it's a learning progress for a learning progress for everyone involved it's for us and for them. And, uh, we're just trying to figure out how to, how to, how to do this. And, um, WTF Bike Scores, I think is just, um, kind of initiating, um, these conversations on like a more um, larger um, scale in the with the, the audience that we have. Um, and so, um, yeah, we're just kind of bringing these conversations to light. And we're doing the same. We're kind of starting a new campaign on uh, events specifically on how events and event organizers can be more inclusive and, um, and make their events more safe. And where can our listeners find more information out about the WTF? How can they support or how can they, you know, go and find out a bit more about the pledge um, as well as your guiding principles? Yeah, so just go to www.wtfbikeexplorers. Bike Explorers is spelled with one E, dot com. And on that page, you'll be given the opportunity to check out the Cycling Industry Pledge. Um, under about us, you can find our guiding principles and, um, I'm pretty sure on the, the main page, there's a donate button and, um, and you can donate, uh, to WTF Bike Scores. We, um, we create scholarships for, um, WTF cyclists every year. Um, so we give people financial stipends and, um, gear to support them on their, um, on their first adventure or their, their next adventure if they don't have access to the funds and um or the privilege that that other folks um that some other folks do awesome and we'll put a link to that uh in the show notes as well so people can just click through let's talk about ruta del jefe uh another example of you using the bike to to do good but in this case it's this extends very much beyond just 
cycling. This is using cycling and sport to talk about a larger issue um, and engage with an issue in a really intimate way. How did that event come about? Um, yeah, so uh, Ruta del Jefe is an uh, adventure cycling event that I have started, um, I started two years ago. And um, it's, it's held in southern Arizona, um, just uh, 10 miles north of the border with Mexico. Um, it's also held in uh, one of the most biodiverse regions of the world. So um, you get a place that has over like 500 different species of birds. Um, and you've got um, pronghorn antelope, you've got, um, you can have black bear and you can have jaguar all in the same, um, same region. Um, grasslands mixed with, um, you know, your typical desert cactus uh, landscape. So it's, um, it's a very diverse, um, diverse um, environment and also um, with the species there. And so I started riding there um, uh, back in 2017. And um, once I went there once, I think I went back like seven times in the same year to just like scout different places. And um, just because I, I love the riding, it's like mellow, it's relatively mellow riding. You've got climbing, but it's, there's um, shorter climbs and it's not overly steep in a lot of places. And the scenery changes really frequently and the dirt roads, there's just a, a, an amazing network of um, dirt roads. So I like being able to map something um, in a place that has like lots of different scenic um, changes um, along the ride. But at the same time, as I started going down there, I started realizing like all this stuff that I'd never been exposed to before, like um, border patrol agent checkpoints, um, uh, surveillance blimps, and, um, and just the border wall itself. Um, and uh, I started reading more about the region and what was happening down there and just learning that the area that I was riding in and that I was really enjoying riding in is actually a location um, where a lot of migrants um, cross the border. Um, and uh, it's a very dangerous journey. It's one of the most remote sections of the Sonora Sonora Desert, and so thousands of migrants are attempting to make this journey every year, and they're traveling by foot through this landscape. I'm just like loving to roll around, but on my two wheels. But to imagine having to go through the brush and the mm. cactus like by foot is just mind blowing. And so um, many, many migrants, um, thousands of migrants have died on that journey in that region and um, humanitarian aid um, has been attacked in that region um, and also um, at the same time there's lots of like mining interests um, trying to um, get in there and just ruin and, and destroy habitats for, um, for jaguars. Um, so um, I decided with like that, you know, I, I had established, I had made a, a bike packing route for the area. And with that, I wrote a um, pretty thorough guide with like all the various different um, environmental and like political issues that were kind of happening in the region. Because after reading about it, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I can't really like make this a rosy picture you know this is actually right. kind of the writing might be rosy and, and beautiful but really it's the whole place is tainted with um with all these different issues that really um can threaten um can threaten the future and so i felt like it was a good opportunity to bring people to a place and educate them or like raise their awareness um, to um, the various issues that were were taking that are taking place in um, the southern Arizona borderland. So um, I decided um, eventually to post to the Ruta de Jefe event, and with that, um, before uh, the night before the race, I bring in experts 
um, from um, and people who um, who are representatives of various um, organizations that are doing work to protect the borderlands and to um, raise awareness of the um, the humanitarian aid issues and the environmental issues kind of like plaguing this region. And so the um, the experts kind of speak to the riders the night before, and then the next day the riders go and do the the race, which the the official race is a 125 mile um, dirt road kind of adventure route. And how's the the community's response been to that? Like within the cycling world, you know, having this added um, purpose to an event, and you know, having that you know that night before um, where you're you have the experts talk about these issues. What's the response been like, and what's the engagement been like? Yeah, I mean, it's been um, anyone that um, has come to the event. I have, I've just heard things that people are just inspired to um, to create events. They see the simplicity of what I'm doing, and they are like, "Yeah, this is actually something that I could be doing in my region that I feel passionately about and in protecting or in helping." Um, like they see it as a way that they can engage and like have a voice against um, against some of these issues, um, and just also the the ability to like learn about a place and then go ride in it and ride in it. You have just a whole new sense of appreciation and um, appreciation for the place. I think is what it, what makes it powerful. And I'm curious, right, it sounds like, you know, through your writing, well, not it sounds like it was, right, through you writing in that region, you kind of discovered these issues and you developed um, an attachment to them in, an, in, in enough conviction about them, right, in order to host an event down there. And to, I'm curious, um, like, to hear how you believe sport, um, and I guess specifically cycling, can be used to help tackle some, you know, I guess pretty major issues, right? You're talking about immigration down here. You're talking about land use, um, and and I'm just curious to hear how you think you can be like how that's effective, and and it's I guess it's that evolution of sport, right, into this new realm of of, of social responsibility. Yeah, um, I think so. I've always felt like, um, and I learned this through bike touring is. When you're, when you're bike touring through a place, you are kind of like stripping yourself down into being like the most unintimidating, like vulnerable person that, that you are. You're like pretty dependent on your outside environment. And so when you're traveling across the country, you're traveling through um, really conservative places or really, really liberal places. And you talk to everyone, you know, you're, and everybody, you know, at their core has, um, kindness and, um, and they can connect, you know, it doesn't, you know, you don't talk about politics, like, you know, you just talk about human, human things. And um, so I think that the bicycle has this ability to um, bridge uh, a gap of, um, of polarization in a way. Um, it has the ability to like um, humanize people and, uh, and expose people to um, each other, you know, expose yourself to the people you, you wouldn't normally choose to put yourself um, near and so a lot of great conversations can happen from from that alone um, but I guess um, I think that um, the cycling industry like when it comes to I think that you know we have to start thinking about the the places that we're riding they have a history to them we can't just keep going along and just living in this like this this fantasy land where it's just cycling, and um, all I want to do is just ride my bike and stop thinking about um, the world's issues. You know, like I think that that's okay, and I think you can still do that, but you still can't push out 
the reality of the history and the issues at hand. So I think that cycling has a, a great opportunity to um, help tell a story of a place and, um, and grow people's appreciation. And if their appreciation is grown and they can connect with something in that place, they'll have a better understanding and they'll be able to communicate with um, their friends or be able to just know what to look for and to, to read about. Um, so I think it's a, it's a small thing, but it can have a, a kind of a, a trickling effect and just a greater um, education and awareness around things. And on those points, right, you, had a, you did a big trip last year in South America. Um, do you want to tell me a bit about, about how that went and, and, you know, what kind of an experience that was? I understand it was, you know, got pretty intense at times. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to South America twice last year. First in, um, the summer we went to Peru and we had a great time. It was my first time in Peru and I just fell in love with the, the place. And before we got back from that trip, we had already made plans to go back in November and um, check out this other region that we were going to start um, in La Paz, uh, Bolivia. And um, so we went back in November, the beginning of November, and we arrived in La Paz um, the day that a lot of rioting and protests started to happen um, against the um, uh, general election. Um, for uh, the president of Bolivia, Evo Morales. Mm -hmm. And um, so what was happening um, was that there are just lots of um, people in the street protesting his, um, the legality of, he, they, they thought that he had um, corrupted the, um, the election process in some way. And there was a, an investigation about that and people were upset and he had been in power for 14 years already. Um, he was a super um, like socialist um, uh, or had socialist values um, as a leader and he brought a lot of um, people out of poverty. And so he did a lot of good things, but again, people were, um, were really questioning what he was doing. And so, yeah, when um, over the next few days, we um, just kind of watched as La Paz just kind of deteriorated into this whole um, just mass protest, um, eventually the um, police um, joining the protest, um, and, uh, and then eventually the um, resignation of uh, Evo Morales, and then kind of the aftermath of that, which was which was pretty bad, which was with um, the military coming in and kind of showing their power. And, um, and uh, yeah, there was just a lot of violence and, and intensity for a few days. Um, and so we eventually um, got, try, we eventually got out of there. We flew um, to Arequipa and started our bike tour from there. Um, but yeah, that was a really intense um, time and it was very confusing um, because the, um, the news that I was reading um, wasn't kind of capturing the entire picture of what was happening down there. And so, you know, I was really sympathetic to the, the protesters against Evo Morales, but after his um, resignation and kind of the aftermath that happened, um, I started finding more information about what was what was happening and um, I just felt really disillusioned and kind of manipulated um, by the news that I was reading and um, and I'm still kind of getting my head around all that but it was definitely uh, pretty sad pretty sad for a large population of people um, especially that it's um, Bolivia has a, a massive population of indigenous people and, and they really did love morales. Um, but we ended up having a really great bike tour after that. <laughs> where did you, where, where, where did the rest of the trip take you? Um, it took us, um, it took us down, eventually it took us down into Chile, um, through this, um, section of, um, national parks through Chile 
and uh, just a, an abundant amount of um, wildlife um, and um, like salt lakes um, that we rode past. And eventually we rode across the, um, the uh, Solar de Uni and a various different, um, a few different salt flats. Um, so we spent like five days riding across salt flats um, as well. It was pretty incredible. Nice. And I think that's another like example of, you know, the bike puts you on the ground, right. And gives you a different perspective, um, to, to everything that's going on. And I think that's, yeah, a very big, um, one of the, the, the superpowers of, of traveling by bike. Before we wrap up, um, you mentioned at the hair at the, at the start of the show, um, you've just sort of started racing a little bit right in the last year. And I'm just intrigued, right. We sort of, I understand what you get from traveling by bike and understand the power of the bike. And I'm intrigued to hear as well, like what do you get from racing and what do you get out of, of, of that challenge? Yeah, for me, um, it's, it's mostly for just the personal challenge of seeing if I can do something that I didn't think was possible. So it's like, it's kind of testing, testing the fitness I gained through bike touring, which I just think it's, wonderful that I just trained through like essentially bike touring and it's testing that um, fitness um, and seeing what I can do with it you know and it, it just um, makes me just so happy that like you know five years ago looking at the dirty cans I'd be like there is no way and how I can do that that race and you know now I've done it twice and you know, I feel like I could do more than that. And it's like, you know, it's, it's just a great feeling. And I, now I'm just trying to like get a better time, you know? And so I like, I like that whole, that whole aspect. I like how I can make, you know, each time I attempt something like that, I can do it in a way that my body doesn't hurt as much or, um, yeah, it's, I just feel better doing it. So that's always fun, but I know it's definitely, you know, bike touring definitely is and kind of like adventure riding is definitely my top. And then like <laughs> doing those, those races and uh, challenges are like, that, those are secondary for sure. <laughs> well, I, you, I feel like uh, it just reminded me of, of a story you told me a while back, but, um, and it involves um, ultra romance. So Ron and, um, and, and Lord Adam, about your journey to the start of your first ever Dirty Kansas. Can you just like real quick, give me a rundown of that? Because it's a, it's a very classic Ron adventure and I feel like it's worth telling. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, so we, we decided that we were going to ride to Dirty Kansas and that would help us train because neither one of us were very in very good shape at the time. And so we we're like, okay, let's make this, you know, fun for us. And so we decided to um, uh, bike tour it um, from Durango. And so I created a route and um, I flew to Durango. And I remember specifically in that, you know, day before we left for the route, we were looking over the, the route and we're like, well, yeah, we're definitely going to get, um, you know, have to hike our bikes through some snow um, over this first, um, first range in San Juan um, to get out of Durango. And so we discussed ideas like bringing some like small snowshoes, you know, like we talked about this stuff. Um, and then we uh, like how to make, we looked up how to make snowshoes if we needed to out of like pine trees. And um, we, we did all, all just talk. Um, and so, but expecting some, some hardship, I booked the cabin at the top of the, the first path. Um so, you know, we, we start the tour and we get to the, that mountain pass, the first mountain pass. And, um, yeah, it's a lot more snow than we had thought. Adam and um, Benedict were both wearing sandals. Um, and we hiked our bikes through snow for like six miles that night. And, and just, you know, getting to the top of the ridge in, in darkness and being like, we can't find the cabin. We've been walking through like, just like, blanket of snow so we couldn't really see where the road or the trail was um and so we we're like oh well this is it you know we're gonna have to camp in the snow I guess like that's not what we planned for and 
Um, but at the last minute we found the cabin um, and, you know, they, they had a little bit of frostbite on their toes. Um, and we, you know, <laughs> melted snow and yeah. And so that was like, that was the hardest part of the trip. And then it all kind of, um, was, was fun and, and dandy after that, ex except for once, um, we dropped Adam off in Pueblo and um adam went back to durango and benedict and i continued on as soon as we hit like eastern colorado and western texas i mean western kansas we just it was so boring compared to what we had experienced in colorado and we were just like oh this is terrible and then the final um nail on the coffin was um we got just stuck in this massive hailstorm golf ball sized hail there's like no trees around you know we just got in a ditch like with our bikes and hid behind our frame bags and luckily we were like 15 minutes away from an Amtrak and we were like oh we're just gonna take a Amtrak the rest of the way so we took an Amtrak to about two 200 miles of Emporia um, and then rode the rest of the way there but the whole time I mean the story here is that the whole time you know Benedict has his bike like loaded down he's like miles behind me on this bike tour like i'm like god he's gonna he is gonna um really suffer at dirty Kanto. like he's not doing so well i am crushing him and he was also like building me up as well he's like oh you're gonna be so good Sarah. and so um i'm like okay well i'm gonna be good and, and you know i didn't even think of him you know as a threat at the time and so we line up at Dirty Kansas after having like three luxurious days of just, you know, laying around in a hotel room. We line up at the start line and um, the gun goes off and Benedict takes off. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Like, I cannot hang on to his wheel. This is like, this is not good. Like, and so I let him go and he's off, you know, at the front and the whole time I'm like, shit, I didn't even think, like, he cannot beat me. I cannot let him beat me. And so I just, like, pedaled as hard as I could for those first 100 miles, and I um, caught up to him at the 100-mile rest point, and he was just, he was just ripped apart into pieces. Um, yeah, my, this is kind of gross, but my mom watched him pee his pants and in the fetal, and <laughs> child's, child's pose my mom was waiting for me waiting for me there um and so she got exposed to the whole whole everything and so it was time to go from the 100 mile and I was like this is your chance Benedict like I'm going you know I'm leaving you know and he he couldn't go he he wasn't ready and um so I took off and I eventually I did beat him on that and and he hasn't beaten me at a gravel race yet Benedict in child's in child's pose peeing himself at the hundred mile mark is uh, is absolutely priceless. I, I I feel very sorry for your mother for having to experience that. <laughs> I do too, but I figured you know if she was gonna experience if you, she, what if there's one way to meet him, you know you just might as well get full exposure, you know, first time. Then he can surprise her all the other all the other times. Exactly right. Exactly right. Before we wrap it up, last question. You know what? What are your plans next? What do you have on the horizon coming out of the the COVID nineteen situation? Yeah. Um, well, I you know I'm I am supposed to race um, gravel for Specialized this year, um, so I am signed up for uh, like the Rift um, in Iceland, SCP Gravel and Steamboat, um, Dirty Kanza, and so I have gravel events that I I am supposed to. Um, do uh, with the whole COVID thing um, that's um, very much in the air. I don't know what the future of events are. I'm having a hard time envisioning a reality where there would be events without um, focus on testing that we don't have. Um, and so um, I've also, you know, like I was supposed to be in Italy, like I'm supposed to be in Italy right now. Um, we are supposed to go back to Peru on June 9th. Um, so all of my trips are, are canceled. And so um, I'm just kind of like taking it day by day. I still have, um, you know, sponsorships. Um, that's kind of 
one aspect of my like career that I didn't really mention, but it's also one of the more like financial supporting aspects of my career is just various um, sponsorships through um, Specialized and Live with CPS um, and just different gigs that I have with companies. Um, and so I still have those, um, and um, but trips are canceled. And so I'm just kind of um, focusing on being here in Durango, kind of thinking about what I can do um, from here. I'm thinking about like tours um, from here eventually. Um, but for now, it's just, um, you know, staying inspired by kind of exploring my own backyard and just enjoying that. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that right now. And um, so, yeah, I think um, I'll just keep doing this until, until something else changes. And and just not being too stuck on anything right now, you know, everything is um, is gonna change or could change or won't change, you know, like you just gotta be okay with whatever's happening. Right, you're exactly right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you, uh, Sarah. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, let's, uh, you know, see what happens and uh, we'll be following your adventures keenly and we'll, when the world reopens and we can uh, move again, we'll no doubt catch up and go for a ride. That would be great. It was a pleasure awesome. to see you again, talk to you again. And that is the program for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a real hoot. We will be back next week with another episode of Thereabouts Outspoken. But until then, feel free to do whatever you like. Take a short walk, or a long one maybe, perhaps a rise through the woods, enjoy a nice meal, or perhaps peruse some old episodes of our potentially award-winning podcast. <laughs> Where can you find the episodes at? Yeah, we are trying to climb the charts, so make sure you... <laughs> Hold on, that's a, I'm gonna. That's a good line. Let's let's get that. We are trying to climb the charts to get those awards. So, um, yeah, we would appreciate if you subscribe to uh, everywhere you can find this podcast: Apple and Spotify and SoundCloud. And you can reach us howdy at thereabouts.co or hit us up on Instagram at here or thereabouts. Keep the comments and suggestions coming. Thanks everybody for listening. My name is Angus Morton, reporting from the Rocky Mountain Range. And I'm Isaac Carson, reporting from the Pacific Northwest. Still. Yes. Can we do that again? <laughs> Take it from the top. <laughs>